uh, story of Moses and the Exodus. And it's the thing where Moses at the burning bush says to God, well, who am I, God, that I should go to Pharaoh? And um, what the study pointed out is that God never actually answers Moses' question. Moses' question is, who am I? I'm a nobody. I'm a nothing. And God doesn't answer. God says, yes, you are a nothing, in effect. (laughs) But God's answer is, Moses, I will be with you. And so there's that that solid thing. It's not about us. It's about who is with us, which is fantastic. So we have been looking through the Beatitudes over the last little while. Um, Let's just quickly go back and just uh, go through what it is. Remember, Beatitudes come from the Latin meaning blessed. Uh, Blessing is not just something you say when somebody sneezes. In fact, it's a really silly thing to say to a Christian who sneezes because it, it comes from the idea of your spirit leaves you when you sneeze or an evil spirit comes in. What you should say, somebody sneezes, you go, isn't it wonderful that God has blessed you? Because he has. Uh, blessing is the idea of praising, is the idea of pr- approving. So um, we can praise God, we can bless God, we can approve of God, say, God, you are fantastic. You are highly exalted, name above all names, worthy of all praise. That is blessing God. We can bless each other. And, and if you go through the Old Testament, you've got the, the patriarchs uh, bless their descendants. They, they say, I approve of you. I give you uh, this. I give you that as a sign of my approval. Uh, we can also be approved of by God, which is God looking at us and going, wow, I, I think that's fantastic. I, I bless you for that. I I give you praise for that, and I'm going to show it in various ways. And we've seen, first of all, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Paraphrase, God blesses those who know that they are nobody, but that God is with them, for they get everything. God blesses those who mourn, and we saw a few weeks back how this is about mourning over the state of our own lives and the state of the world. This is, this is being honest with ourselves and honest with God and going, I am the worst of sinners. I fall into the same sins again, that, that old uh, song, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. That, that's, that's this one. And Jesus says, God approves of that because it shows we need him. It shows that we are not good enough without Him. And He says God will comfort us. He will forgive us. He will lift us up. God blesses those who are humble, who, who are meek in some translations, who, who don't have to push themselves forward, who are, who are so content in who they are in God as God's children that they don't have to insist that everyone else treats them as kings, but instead can, can lower themselves. And we looked at Jesus who, who, though he was God, didn't think of equality with God, something to cling on to, but he humbled himself and became a servant. Uh, Jesus says these people, God shows his approval by giving them as an inheritance the whole earth. We don't hold on to it and so God says you have it all. God blesses those who hunger and who thirst for justice or righteousness, who long with every fiber of their being to, to have God's character made in them and God's kingdom come in the world around them. And Jesus says, those who hunger for it will be satisfied. God, if, if we want Godliness in our lives and in our world with all of our heart, then, then God will give it to us. Ultimately, when He comes, everything will be made new. God blesses those who are merciful. Who 
have been forgiven much and so can forgive much, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure. And we saw that this is all about whose lives, the heart stands for your whole life. God blesses those whose, whose lives are so set on God, who every single part of their existence is determined by God. And Jesus says, such people will see God. He approves of them that much that they will see Him. God blesses those who work for peace, we saw last week. For they will be called the children of God, the children of the great peacemaker. Peace being that state where God's kingdom comes and His will is done. Peace being that state where everything is as God means for it to be. And then we come this week to... God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You know, if, if you look through this kingdom life that we've done for the last seven or eight weeks now, you might say that, that a person who lived like that would have a very attractive life. That people would appreciate someone like that. I mean, they, they're the kind of people who are gracious and forgiving and kind and gentle, who, who put others first, who, who aren't loud-mouthed and arrogant. But here in the last Beatitude, and it's one that Jesus repeats, <coughs> Jesus says that Jesus' people are not only nice-seeming people, but they're also persecuted people. It might seem strange to go from... God approves of the peacemakers straight through and God approves of you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. But if you think about it, try as we might, there are some times when we try and make peace and people refuse it. There are people who refuse to have peace with us and there are definitely people who refuse to have peace with God. Jesus brings many people together. From all walks of life. I mean, take a look around you. We're a weird bunch. And we're all together here because of Jesus. But Jesus also says in Matthew chapter 10 that he came to bring a sword. That he would divide family from family. Father from son. Mother from daughter. Husbands and wives. Jesus can come between people depending on whether they accept Him as God or not. And when Jesus comes between people, when people refuse God, as gentle and peacemaking and loving, as kind as Christians can be, and we all do that perfectly, there can be trouble. And life can be difficult. And the question we have to ask ourselves then is, is God worth it? There is a very important limiter to this whole question of persecution. Just hands up. Who reckons they've been persecuted at all? Anyone? Okay. Who reckons they've been persecuted for righteousness sake? Maybe. Maybe. Uh, uh, I'm glad to see a few hands. I was like, oh, I, don't, may, I don't know. Um, sometimes we suffer in this world just because this world is messed up. Um, some things is not because we've been evil or someone else has been evil. It's just because we live in a world that has been marred by sin. And so when the storm comes through and, and wipes the roof off your house, that's not 
That's not because you've um, told a lie when you were 17. That's just because a storm came through and wiped the roof of your house because this world is a mess. And also we've got to say that not every persecution we suffer is one that God approves of. Sometimes God does not approve of us when we are persecuted. And you're looking at me going, but Nick, the Bible verse says that God approves of us when we're persecuted. Well, no, the Bible verse says God approves of us when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Uh, Leonora and, and Vili were telling us a story the other day of uh, they were down in Margaret River and they were staying in Busselton. And it was, I think, Easter weekend or something like, no, somewhere. They were there and there was this lady from the church handing out flyers. And um, it was Saturday and they were going back to Busselton and they were handing out flyers for the Sunday service. Now my wife will tell me if I tell this wrong. Um, and she gave, would you like to come? And Leonora said, no, no, thank you. And Leonora was with a non-Christian friend. No, no, thank you. I, I, I don't think I'll, I'll bother coming all the way out again. And this woman from the church turned to her and said, yes, but will God be bothered with you when he returns? And Leonora's non-Christian friend was like, Oh, see, 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 that's why Christians... Blah, 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 blah. You know what? To get angry and even a little bit shirty with someone for saying something like that, I don't think God's impressed. It is possible for us to be persecuted, not for our Christianity, but for our lack of Christianity. For our being insensitive, for our being thoughtless, for our being, and I don't struggle with this one at all, piously obnoxious. <laughs> for being judgmental. For being lazy. We can be persecuted for these things. But God's not going there, Ah, oh, I love Nick so much. He's just He was so piously obnoxious and they got so angry with him and I'm going to bless his socks off now. Of course not. No, no. What Jesus says is God approves of it when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for Jesus' sake. Peter says in uh, 1 Peter that it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing wrong. But why would you have to suffer for doing good? Uh, the pastor van Antwerp says, goodness has a tendency to expose the bad. It's like, uh, I don't know, if you've got your TV, you've got the brightness and the contrast setting. Goodness is kind of like turning the contrast up. And all of a sudden, the blacks and the whites become a lot clearer. It is persecution for Jesus' sake that, that God approves of. If we claim to follow Jesus, if our lives are set on His, if, if everything we do and everything we think and everything we say is guided by Him. Um, hands up if that's you, by the way. Hands up if you're aiming for that, because that's what I'm aiming for. But, but if that is our ambition, two Timothy 3.12 says that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you think about it, what, what is sin? What is sin? Well, there's lots of definitions, but maybe we can 
bring it down to saying that sin is a rejection of God's right to be king. Sin is telling God where to get off. Sin is saying, I don't need you. I can make my own decisions. I can run my own life. I can do what I want. You've got some ideas, God. I'll pick and choose. But ultimately, I am in charge. And if we follow God, is it any surprise that people who are anti-God might be a little bit anti-us when we live a godly life? Matthew 10, Jesus Uh, Taryn and I were reading this the other day. Matthew 10, if Jesus was accused of being the devil, surely his followers will be too. Jesus said in John chapter 15, if the world hates you, remember this, it hated me first. If you think about Samuel, uh, the great prophet of Israel, uh, towards the end of his ministry, the people came to him and said, we want a king, we want to be just like everyone else. And, and Samuel got all, ah, oh, no, what have I done, blah, blah, blah. And Samuel felt betrayed and hurt because he was the, the prophet for the people. And God came to him and said, Samuel, mate, get over yourself. It's not you they've rejected, it's me they've reje- rejected. But Samuel felt it because he was God's agent. If we are dead set on hungering after God's will, and his righteousness, we will offend people. We consider ourselves, I hope you consider yourself, we consider ourselves spiritually bankrupt. And that goes against the human grain to think of ourselves as spiritually bankrupt. We like to think of ourselves as, you know, maybe not being 100%, but, you know, we're, we're okay, we're, we're mostly okay. It's certainly more than 50% okay. We are those who mourn over our sin and that of our world. There are no Nobel Prizes for mourning over your sin. It's not something our world appreciates. If anything, it's, it's perhaps a case of well, what's wrong with you. Mate, it's not that bad. Everyone else does it. Why, why are you sorry about that? Because, I mean, you used to do it with us every week. Everyone does it. Why are you mourning over it? And when we come to things like being humble and meek and gentle, well, we've already seen how, how easy people Easily people confuse meekness with weakness. Persecution can challenge us on a spiritual level, on an emotional level, sometimes on a physical level. The the pictures behind the songs this morning, I don't know if you noticed, (laughs) we're singing these lovely songs and in the background there are some Christians sitting in the Colosseum with a lion coming out to eat them. And in the background, some people on crosses, and half of the crosses are on fire. And we're singing, you are highly exalted. The focus here in Matthew chapter 5 is not on that sort of persecution. Many of the prophets were killed. Many Christians are killed. But the kind of persecution that Jesus highlights here in Matthew chapter 5, he speaks about the rest elsewhere, 
is maybe the kind of persecution that you and I are likely to face in our streets, in our families, in our friendship groups, in our area. The, the soft persecution, the social put-downs. Now, there are people who face harsh penalties. Read the back of your bulletin this week. There's a great story from um, Nauru. People who are in detention and who are only there because they have fled their country for, for being Christians. What does Jesus say we are likely to face? He says, God blesses you when you are persecuted for doing right for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So it's what we do causes it. But have a look at verse 11. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Being a Christian can involve being insulted and mocked. John chapter 15 verse 2, Jesus was called a Samaritan. Which is like saying to someone, you live in Rockingham. <laughs> I notice the people who live in Mandra laugh the loudest. Jesus wasn't only called a Samaritan, he was called a demon-possessed Samaritan. I, don't, I didn't pick up on it when I was in high school, but I had one bloke who used to follow me around and say, Nicholas, can you say truck? T-R-U-C-K. Delphine understands why. Delphine's got a bit of a laugh happening at the back there. Uh, switch letters. Switch the first letter upside down. You understand what he was trying to get me to say. <coughs> Christians can very easily be caricatured. Now, I know none of you would ever watch The Simpsons, but I have watched some. And there's a character on there called Ned Flanders who is just the most oh, groan-worthy Christian. He's always bubbly and happy, and he just rams the Bible down your throat all the time, and he doesn't care. He is piously obnoxious as you can get. It's easy to caricature Christians, especially because we have got crazy uncles, as one person I know calls them. In the church, people who say absolute nonsense, who, who just talk drivel and who give Christians a bad name. Being a Christian can involve being slandered. The early church was persecuted um, in three different ways. They were persecuted for being atheists because they didn't worship a visible God. They were persecuted for being immoral because they met in secret places. Because if they didn't meet in secret places, they'd be persecuted for being atheists in the first place. And they were persecuted for being unpatriotic because they worshipped Jesus as king and not the emperor. Of course, persecution can involve violence. Jesus was called names. Jesus was lied about. Even at his trial at the end, they brought in people who gave false testimony against him, but he was also executed. Stephen, the first martyr, was, was killed, stoned to death. Peter and John in jail. What about Paul? 
you read through the letters, it's just, that guy probably, I don't know, he must have had bruises all over from the times he was stoned and had to escape from the riots. and Things got difficult for them. But even Paul writes not only about his being stoned, but about people spreading rumors about him. At one point he says, I'm in jail and there's people outside preaching the gospel to try and get me into more trouble. <coughs> the, the purpose of persecution is often to hurt and to punish us. To push our buttons until we, until we, until, until we, until we just react. And we prove that we're just as bad as them. And then they turn and go, oh, you call yourself a Christian. You're a hypocrite. <coughs> the purpose can also be to get us to turn our backs on God. To, to not rock the boat. To go with the flow. And sometimes the, the soft persecution can be worse even than the harsh persecution. In places where there is harsh, harsh persecution, the church grows abundantly. In places like Australia where there is soft persecution, it's, it's a gradual chipping away. It's like wind erosion as opposed to a glacier. It's easy to avoid persecution. I can give you three steps to avoid being persecuted. Number one, don't spend any time with anyone except Christians who think exactly the same as you. Okay, can we do this? You've done a good start by coming to church this morning. Just check that the person next to you doesn't disagree with anything before you start. Uh, this will have the effect. It's a side effect. It's a small one that we won't actually make any contact with non-Christians. And um, nobody will come to know Jesus as God. But that's a small one as long as we don't get persecuted. Number two. Keep your faith secret. Light your lamp and stick it under a basket because otherwise people are going to be disturbed by how it shines up and contrasts their own life and contrasts your own life. Number three, go with the flow. Accept the morals of this age, the ethics of this world. Smile. Can, can we practice? Can you put on a smile? Smile when God is mocked and Jesus' name is used in vain. Don't set your heart on God. Don't mourn over your sin. Embrace it. Don't comment on controversial issues. I know that for myself on Facebook I have been unfriended by some family. Not my family, but extended family in South Africa. Um, because I, I put a sad face next to a ruling about same-sex marriage in the U.S. Don't say things like that if you want to not face opposition. But, you know, through all of this, there's a question for What's wrong with God? Why would he approve of us being persecuted? 
a Puritan theologian apparently said that Jesus repeats himself. This is the only beatitude that he repeats. He repeats himself because it's such an incredible thing for him to say. The common Jewish idea then, and common I think perhaps now as well, is that all suffering, including persecution, shows that God is unhappy with you. And yet Jesus turns around and says, no, when you're persecuted for chasing after God and His kingdom and His righteousness, then God blesses you. Why? Jonathan Edwards, the great revival preacher, uh, once described God as man's natural enemy. And I think he's onto something there. After the fall, God is our natural enemy. He's, we are God's natural people that he loves, but from our side, we see of him as an enemy. And the heart of persecution is a hatred for God and his son, a desire to rule him out, to say, I get to decide life, not you, God. The most maligned person in this universe has always been and will always be God. God is the one who is maligned. God is the one who people dislike. We are just those who are chasing after Him. We are merely His agents. And when we face opposition or persecution or, or a, a snide laugh or, or whatever, when we face any of these things... The hurt, and it, it hurts. The hurt is just an inkling of God's hurt. Because it is God that ultimately is being rejected. That's, that's what he said to Samuel. He said, Samuel, it's not you they've rejected as king, it's me. 1 Samuel chapter 6. God approves of us when we are persecuted when people belittle us, when people put us down, because we love Him. Because we, we want to live as He intends, because we want to live under His loving rule. God approves of us then because He looks at us and says, you have counted the cost and you have said, I will be for God though everyone else is against me. That's what God approves of. God approves of us saying, God, I choose you above my comfort, above this, above my family, above my friendships. And if I'm right over the last eight weeks in saying that the Beatitudes all show, all describe what every Christian is meant to be, then I hate to say it, but it means that being despised and rejected and slandered and persecuted is as much a mark of a true Christian as being humble and meek and gentle and having a pure heart. <clears throat> In fact, we might even say that this last beatitude is a, is a kind of a, a, a capstone test for all the beatitudes. If... if Jesus' followers never experience any persecution whatsoever. And I'm talking persecution for righteousness, not for being scumbags. If we never experience that, how much of our lives are actually being defined by God? 
Because if our lives are being defined by God, if we are following His ways and not those of the world, then there will come a point of conflict. It's like tectonic plates, you know, uh, continental plates, and where they push up against each other, they, they push, and you think, oh, that's nice. They just rest against each other. But no, they, they're actually pushing against each other. Both are saying, I will be the one in charge. I will go my way. God says, well, it's my kingdom. And the world says, no, forget that. We'll go first. And, and you come and there's this conflict and volcanoes and horrible things. Good thing God is going to make everything brand new. How are we to respond to persecution? Can I just hands up again? Who's been persecuted for righteousness sake? Okay, so what I want the rest of you to do this week is to go and find someone who's not a Christian and really needle them until they persecute you a little bit. Can we, can we all do this? You can't? So please don't. Don't go chasing after persecution. If you're chasing after persecution, chances are you're being piously obnoxious and horrible and God's not happy with that anyway. Jesus didn't go chasing after people to persecute him. He went chasing after people to bless them and encourage them and love them and show them compassion and mercy and forgiveness and openness. Chase after that. But if we seek God, if we want our lives to be set on him, then persecution will come. And when it comes, we are to retaliate. And sulk. And grin and bear it. And, and masochistically say, this is fantastic. Well, actually, Jesus does say rejoice and be glad. Be very glad. By the way, don't do any of those responses. <laughs> but do rejoice and be glad. Why? Partly because... Our reward is great in heaven. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 7 and 8, Paul says that on that day when Jesus returns, we will receive a crown of righteousness. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18, Paul writes again and says, God won't let what is done for his glory go unrewarded. Paul writes elsewhere of pressing forward for the prize that is before him, setting his eyes on Jesus, the hope of glory, the hope of an eternity with Jesus. Jesus himself speaks about eternal life, being with him forever, and, and this is eternal life, says Jesus, knowing you, Father, and knowing me. Why are we to rejoice and be glad? Well, because we might lose everything on earth. We might lose friends. We might lose prestige, we might lose status, we might lose ability. But we will inherit the very kingdom of God. Another reason to rejoice when we are persecuted is that it is a sign that we are following after Jesus. We're in good company. The prophets who were before us were persecuted as well. We are suffering on Jesus' behalf. As Christians, our treasure cannot be in what people think of us. But in what God thinks of us. 
And if we treasure God above everything else, if we treasure the hope of glory of being with Him above anything else, though you slay us, we will we will rejoice. Those three who went into the lion's den, our God can save us, but even if He doesn't, we know that He is God. Rejoicing isn't always spontaneous. Jesus has to command us to rejoice. And, and that doesn't mean put on a fake smile and go, oh, I'm so happy. If you're enjoying being persecuted, if you're enjoying people telling lies about you, then there's something wrong with you. Don't enjoy that. Be happy and glad that that doesn't define you, but that Jesus does. Can we live knowing that our prize is not one that we can enjoy now. We enjoy a foretaste of it. We know that God loves us. He gives us His Spirit. But, but ultimately, we will still face persecution. We will still face people going, well, I don't think you're right. Yep, maybe we're not right. Maybe we need to check the Bible, read through it. There's a story of Abraham's first wife, and we'll finish with this, Hagar. Hagar... The poor, poor slave woman, when Sarah and Abram were getting on, Abram was about 86, 87 years old. Anyone in that age bracket? <laughs> getting there. God had said to Abram, through you, all the, I'm going to give you a big family. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And Abram's going, well, I'm 86. I don't have a kid yet. Here comes Hagar. Sarah says, okay, marry my slave. They have a kid. Things between the two wives now get a bit acrimonious. Hagar runs away. She's crying in the desert and God finds her and says, come on, go back. It's fine. I'm going to bless you. Your son's going to be powerful. He's going to be a great nation. Um, it's not the son of the promise, but I'm still going to give him a, a blessing. And Hagar, at the end, goes back into the situation with her mistress who thinks she is scum. And she says in Genesis 16, verse 3, you are the God who sees me. <clears throat> so the question is, can we go through life knowing that God is the God who sees us? That he's with us, that he sees us, that he knows what we're going through. And that one day he will stand before us and we will stand before him and he will say, Pam, Anna Marie, Wayne, Graham, insert your name here. I saw all of that. You took it on the chin for me because you love me more than you love your status. More than you love being comfortable. Because you want me as king. Well done. I love you so much. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing? Done.